Well, good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt. I'm the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship Church, and I'm so glad you're with us for another installment in our series that we've entitled FAQ. We're answering some frequently asked questions. People who come to my office or send me emails all week long, and uh, by the way, my email is always at the, I hope most of the time it's the end of my messages. If you ever have a question, you can send that in. But today we're going to be addressing the question that I'm asked all the time, why do I need to go to church? My kids have even asked me this sometimes. Anybody else's kids ever asked that? Why do we need to go to church? Okay, well today I'd like to tackle that question. So I'm going to have a word of prayer for us and we're going to jump right in. Would you pray with me please? Lord, I thank you for your word. It's in our, our guide in all matters of faith and practice. Guides us in how we're supposed to practice our faith at church. And today I'd like to tackle this question, Lord. I'm praying that the Lord, the words that I say uh, will ple be pleasing to you and that, Lord, you'd move me out of the way and teach us what we need to know about why church is important for each one of us. I pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. If you need a pen to fill in the blanks, if you didn't grab it on the way in or take some notes, just raise your hand. One of the ushers will bring one to you. thought in order to uh, address this adequately of why people need to go to church or why I'd say it's important to go to church, uh, I'd start off with four excuses that I hear all the time for why people don't. It kind of helps set the stage. So these are four common excuses for not going to church. I hear them over and over and over again. First of all, people say, I'm too busy. And yeah, the Bible might talk about how important church is and stuff, but that was back in Bible times when life was simple. I mean, we live in a modern era where things are too busy. Well, when Jesus was challenging people to uh, prepare their hearts for the kingdom of heaven, here's an illustration that he used. And he said God was like a, um, a man who prepared a banquet and invited people to come and attend. And uh, in this story he told, here's what happened. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. And one said, well, I just bought a field and I must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five pairs of oxen. I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I have a wife, so I can't come. No comment there. Okay, but anyway, <laughs> the whole idea is this, is that I'm too busy. Well, that's not just in... A modern day excuse. This was an excuse given in the days of Jesus. We all have the same amount of time. People have always had 24 hours in a day. And what we're too busy for just tells us our priorities. Is it a priority to us to gather with other believers? Is it a priori priority to us to pool our resources, to work together for the kingdom of God? Is it a priority or am I thinking about myself and my needs first? There's always things that will fill our time. There are always things that we can spend our money on. And being too busy, well, we're too busy for a lot of things, but we make time for the things that are important to us. And we always make room in our budget for the things we really want to do. And that's just the way it is. So it's not a good excuse. A second excuse that we hear all the time about people not going to church is someone in church offended me once. I hear this one a lot. Um, leading a family and trying to put together a eulogy for somebody and about their, to celebrate their life and things. Well, were they actively involved in a church? No, they used to be, but then somebody offended them once. You know, and once you get offended in church, you just never go back. Oh, yeah, it's just the same as going to a restaurant. I get a bad waiter once. I'm never eating out again. What? Well, you know, somebody offended me once in a restaurant, so I'm never eating out again. We'll just try another restaurant. We'll just try another church. Oh, never thought about that. Besides that, isn't church a place where people come because we're sinners? Yeah. So we're all sinners. You need to come to Jesus, right? Right. And so some of us have been Christians for a while. Some of us are just getting in the game. Right. And the longer you're around other Christians, the more you can grow to be like Christ. So why would I expect that people who've just begun the journey would have everything right in their life? And why would I expect that everybody's dealing with the same issues at the same time? That's not that way in my physical family. It's not that way in our church family. 
So why wouldn't I expect if there were some people who had just become Christians that they wouldn't have some rough edges and might offend me? I should expect that. In fact, if I told people, if I told all of us here, hey, we're all perfect and we don't struggle with anything, you'd go, you're crazy. Church is made up of real people. Real people make mistakes. Real people say things they shouldn't say. Real people don't get around to doing things they promise to do. Well, we're a real church with people just like that. By the way, if you ever find a real church where nobody offends you, a, a perfect church, don't join it because you'll mess it up. Okay? <laughs> Colossians 3.13 says, You must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Well, that wouldn't make sense if there was nobody to forgive. And Paul was writing to the Christians in Colossae, to the church. So it doesn't do any good to say somebody offended me there. Well, people offended each other in Bible times, and that's just the way it's going to be. Get over it. We're going to have to learn to forgive people sooner or later. Church is a great place to practice that because we're all sinners here. Another excuse I hear, a third excuse, is church is full of hypocrites. And when I hear that one, I just go, man, I, so you really hate hypocrisy. And then people go, oh, I do. I can't stand it. I'm just allergic to hypocrisy. I go, man, it must really be hard for you then. And they go, why? And I go, well, church isn't the only place where hypocrites exist. I've been to health clubs where people are hypocritical, and they're not working out just as much as they say they are. Any, does anybody believe that? There are people who are pretending to be in better shape than they are at a health club. Nope, never heard of that. Well, what about another place people go to meet is at a bar. Nobody there at a bar during happy hours pretended to be anything other than what they are, ever. Can't imagine that. Everybody at happy hour is happy. <laughs> Don't think so. Well, what about at work, in your workplace? Everybody there is clocking in right on time. Everybody's working extra hours. Nobody's trying to kiss up to the boss for a promotion. Everybody's being 100% genuine at your workplace. What about in politics? Everybody, anybody ever heard of a politician being hypocritical? What about football? Anybody heard of the NCAA? Be, I'm not even going there. Okay, that's just terrible. But can you imagine if we held the same standards of hypocrisy to any other organization that we do to church? I'm not going there. There's too many hypocrites at work, at the health club, at a bar, in sports, in politics. So I'm not going to vote. I'm not going to watch a game. I'm not going to go to work. I'm not going anywhere because I hate hypocrites. You want to go someplace on earth with no hypocrites? Good luck. It's a human condition. In fact, I'm going to tell you, I always turn that around and go, well, in the church, if you hate hypocrisy, then you should go to church because church is the one place where people are going to deal with it. Here's the founder of the church, Jesus, commenting on hypocrisy. This is one of dozens of places where he comments about this. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law, you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled inside, filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Jesus called people out who are hypocrites. The New Testament says we're not supposed to do that. If you join a small group here, the idea of getting a small group is to provide accountability. One, one dimension of it is to provide accountability to ferret that out. If you hate hypocrisy, church is the place you ought to run to. I'll take my chances with the church any day over any of the other organizations or institutions I listed when it comes to hypocrisy. At least we're dealing with it here. If you hate hypocrisy, you better go to church, not stay away. That's a lame excuse, and you can tell I'm mad about it. Anyway, I can be a Christian all by myself. I hear this one too. Why do I need to go to church? I can be a Christian all by myself. Hey, for me, church is being in the woods. Yep, that's my church. 
being at the beach. That's my church. I watch the tide come in and out, watching the surf roll. It's like, that's exactly, that's where I feel closest to God. So I don't need other Christians. I just need to walk on the beach. I just need to sit in a tree stand in the woods, and I'm good. When I'm all alone, I'm close to God. Well, let me remind us of what I shared with you a couple of weeks ago when we talked about sin and temptation. We're not alone. Even when you think you're alone, you're not alone. We're not alone on this planet. Peter said, be careful. Watch out for the attacks of the devil, your great enemy. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for some victim to devour. The Bible says if you and I try to live the Christian life on our own, it's like watching one of those National Geographic films where a couple of lions are stalking a herd of gazelles and they finally get one of them to peel off by itself. Well, that one's the goner. You and I can say, yeah, I'm going, to be a, I'm going to live the successful Christian life by myself out in the woods. Well, you know, when you become a Christian and surrender your life to Christ, that doesn't mean you automatically know a thing about marriage or about money, about raising kids. Last time I checked, the woods didn't know jack about raising teenagers. The beach can't help you at all in learning to manage your money. But being around other Christians, we can help each other a lot. And if you don't know how to raise your kids or have a good marriage or manage your money, you don't think the devil can get into that, can get right into the middle of your family, right into the middle of your finances, right into the middle of your relationship with your kids and destroy the whole thing? He'll do it in a heartbeat. And I can be a foolish Christian and say, I don't need any instruction in anything else. All I need to do is go be by myself. That's the most ridiculous thing you could possibly say. Of course we feel close to God when we're in nature. He created nature. That's good. But it's not enough. And it's a ridiculous excuse to say that that's all we need. It's not all we need. I want to build the case for you with the rest of this message. We need each other. And we are foolish to think we can live the Christian life on our own. All of these excuses are silly, lame excuses that the devil would whisper in our ear just to get us off by ourselves. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Paul wrote, If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. We are more than arrogant. It is the ultimate in pride to say, yeah, I can handle all the temptations of the devil. I'll never become self-righteous. I'll never become judgmental. I'll never become greedy or lustful or proud or name your poison. He'll hunt us down and drag us into misery sure as we can, as sure as anything. I mean, it's just certain. So if we don't need to make excuses, we'll... What do we need to think about church? Well, that brings us to point B. Well, to be a Christian, we need to realize we're part of the body of Christ. Uh, the New Testament writers compare the church to an organism, to a body, not just an organization, but an organism. When we wrote our statement of beliefs at Center Point, we wanted to reflect this uh, from our statement of beliefs. By the way, you can look these up on the web anytime on our website, centeringlives.com. Here's what we believe about the church at center point. The church is the body of Christ created by his word and spirit. The church is not a religious institution or denomination, but is made up of all people everywhere in every time who have surrendered their lives to Christ. The church exists to worship and glorify God, serve him faithfully by doing his will on earth. All members of the church are called to ministry and service. And where do we get that? Well, from passages like these, Ephesians 1. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. 
It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Paul also wrote in 1 Corinthians 12, all of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. To become a Christian, if I come to Christ, I come as a sinner. You come to Christ, you come as a sinner. Jesus died on the cross for all of us, but he didn't die on the cross just for me. He died for you too, for the sins of the whole world. And Paul says, if you want to understand how it works, it works like a body. And just as my physical body has a head, my brain is in my head telling my body what to do. Well, when you and I surrender our lives to Christ, he places his Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit comes inside of us. And now under the direction of God's direction, we work together to tell the whole world about him, to be his hands and his feet. And Paul pushes this analogy pretty hard. In fact, he goes on to say, each one of us plays a necessary role in the body of Christ. This is again from 1 Corinthians 12. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, well, how would you hear? If your whole body were an ear, well, how could you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. When he wrote to the Romans, he said, if your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God's given you leadership ability, then take that responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, then do it gladly. When God brings us into a right relationship with himself, he also wants us to be in right relationship with each other. And what you'll find is, as you get involved in the life of the church, is that God is supernaturally organizing all this and bringing out things in our lives and manifesting himself in such a way in our lives that as he brings us into the life of a church, some of us are led by God to teach, some to lead, some to serve, some to give, and God puts it all together. And so all of a sudden now, when you get involved in a church, you go, I'm making a real contribution here. I feel like God wanted me here because he does. You're a part of his body, just like I need fingers and toes and I need all the different parts of my body to work together well. Well, God wants the church to reflect that same sort of mentality that we're, hey, we're all part of something here around the world. And each of us has a significant role to play. Now, if you flip your outline over, there's one extension. By extension, then, it's important to understand that to cut ourselves off from other Christians is like being amputated from Christ's body. Eugene Peterson and his message in the message wrote this when he was um, making his translation of Romans 12, verses 4 and 5. We're like various parts of the human body. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as part of his body, but as a chopped off finger or cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? I mean, imagine if God wants to get a certain amount of work done and he has gifted you and enabled you to bring to bear certain talents, certain skills that this church desperately needs, but you're not willing to be a part of it because you bought into those excuses. You're too busy. There's too many hypocrites. Somebody hurt my feelings once. Well, now you're not playing. I mean, imagine if we're trying to increase the reach of Christ and we cut off the fingers. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. But if I pull myself out of the running, if I pull myself out of involvement, I'm saying, God, I want you to do all this work, but don't use me. Use all those other poor saps, but not me. I'm not getting involved with them. 
Well, it's an enormous mistake. How come the work of the church isn't getting done? Well, the worst thing I could do is stand back and complain about it and not get involved. That's just not even logical. And Paul's argument is exactly to that end. So if God wants us to think of ourselves as part of a body, then I want to give five reasons, not five excuses, but five reasons why it's terribly important for us to get involved and jump in with both feet under the heading of why we need each other. And I want to give you five reasons why we need other Christians. And I'm not overstating that. We need each other to live the Christian life. So if somebody was asking me, can I live the Christian life on my own? No, not successfully. You can't. Can you believe in Christ? Sure. But can you have a victorious Christian life on your own? No, I don't see how. Because of the attacks of the devil and because we're not fulfilling what God called us to do. So here are five reasons why I think that's important. One, you and I can help protect and care for each other. We can help protect and care for each other. Ecclesiastes 4, Solomon wrote, Two people are better than one. They can help each other succeed. If one person falls down, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone, they're in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. We can help each other. We can care for each other. What you'll find in life is, is that there are times in my life when I am sick. There are times in my life when I face adversity. There are times in my life when I'm filled with doubt or concern or worry. And it helps a lot to know that there are other Christians who can pick me up when I'm low. And I can turn around and return the favor when they're feeling down. But how am I going to get help if I don't have any friends? How am I going to get support if I'm not a part of anything? You know, people are often amazed at this when I'm uh, performing a funeral for somebody, for a family member. And so we're performing this funeral and we go through a lot of time together with the family and praying with them. And then a connect group comes and brings food and more food and more food. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, amazing. And then all of a sudden when the funeral's going on, there's even people that say, hey, I'll stay there and watch your house. They go, really? Yeah, because there are some people in our society that read through the obituaries and then they know when people aren't going to be there and none of their extended family are going to be there during that person's funeral. And so we can have somebody from a connect group just sitting there staying at their house. And then some of these extended family members who come in from out of town have never been a part of a church. who have always said, ah, church is full of hypocrites. I'm too busy. Yada, yada, a million excuses. All of a sudden they go, this is amazing. It wasn't that long ago, a family member, one of those extended family members came up to me and said, who are all these people? Why are you doing this? I said, these people are part of our church. This is what a church is. I'm going to, oh, I had no idea. We need each other. When Paul was talking about the body, he said, hey, if one part suffers, all the other parts suffer with it. If one part is honored, all the parts are glad. I got the cast off my finger. I broke my ring finger playing basketball with my sons a couple months ago, and I'm rehabbing it now. Uh, Rehab hurts. Okay, I just want to go on record with that. Uh, When I broke it, it hurt. Uh, the night when I broke it playing basketball, I thought it was just a jam knuckle, and I didn't realize the bone was broken. I jammed knuckles before, and what you do with the jam knuckles, you pull on it, get it straight. You do not do that with a broken bone, okay? You just don't. <laughs> I did. I'm only going to do that once ever in my life. 
This finger is a small part of my body, but the whole rest of my body suffered with it. Do you know when you are here and we can help you, it makes all the difference in the world if you're in the hospital and somebody comes to see you. You're going through a hard time in your marriage, a hard time at work, and somebody can pray with you and stand beside you. How are you going to face that adversity alone? I mean, a trip to the woods isn't going to help then. Not when you can't get out of bed. We need each other. We can also encourage and motivate each other. The second reason. Let's consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let's encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. To encourage means to give courage. Sometimes I need somebody to come alongside me and go, it'll be okay, and give me a big hug. Other times I need people to spur me on. You think about spurs, you dig a spur into the, the flank of a horse, that horse understands he's supposed to giddy up. There are times in my life when I need a hug because I'm feeling down. There are other times in my life when I need a kick in the pants to get going. And so do you. I can do a lot better in getting in shape or staying on a diet or staying on a Bible reading plan if I got somebody who's going to ask me, hey, are you doing this? Let's go. Let's go. If you're working out in the gym on the weights, if you have a partner, they'll go one more rep. You'd have never done that on your own. Well, it's true in the gym and it's true in the church. We all need encouragement and sometimes we need motivation. You'll get a lot more motivation from others than you ever could just being by yourself. The beach won't motivate you. It might make you feel a little more peaceful, but it's not going to come alongside you and say, now you need to get going. And we need each other. A third reason we need each other is we need to teach each other. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom that he gives. Colossians 3.16. Titus 2. Paul again. Similarly, teach the older women to live out Live in a way that honors God. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and be pure. Here we go again. It's the point I was making before. How are you going to learn to raise children, especially if you grew up in a home where, there weren't any, where you didn't have Christian parents? Well, the older women can train the younger women. And it said similarly, you could circle that at the beginning of that, because right before that, if you go read the chapter, the older men are supposed to teach the younger men, and the younger men are supposed to listen. The mature Christians can help bring along the newbies. Where are you going to find that without church? Where are you going to learn how to do these things? I, just this last week, I met with someone in my office. They've been coming to church, and they said, you've been teaching about, the, you've been stressing that people need to read the Bible, and I don't know how to do that. They said, I have copies of the Bible, but I don't read any of them. What do I do? And I sat down in my office, and we got out our cell phones. We loaded the Bible.com app, and I Showed him how to do it, and we flipped through it, got him a reading plan, and got him reading. He goes, oh, this is great. I can do this every day on my own. I went, yep. I'm so glad I came to this church. You can do that. I can do that. How are people going to know how to pray if nobody ever taught them how to pray? The older Christians, the the mature ones need to teach the inexperienced ones. Remember, we're all at different places here. Why would I think that I don't need to be taught stuff? 
We all need to be taught various things. Some of us had parents that taught us everything. Some of us didn't. Some of us, boy, we had the benefit, in my case, of a seminary education. Most people haven't. So those of us who have some education can help share with the people who don't. But how are we going to get that on our own? And it's silly to think we can. So we can help protect and care for each other. We can encourage each other and motivate each other. We can teach each other. Fourthly, you and I, we can worship God and celebrate his goodness together. And this is an enormous advantage. Do we need to worship God on our own? Of course we do. But isn't it a wonderful gift to be able to worship God together? I love coming here on Sunday mornings and singing together with our worship team. We have a staff time on Tuesday mornings where we get together as a staff and we worship around a piano at our office. And man, I sound a lot better when Shelly's playing the piano than when I'm singing by myself. In fact, it's not even, it's just bad when I sing by myself. But the whole point is, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts, that's what Paul wrote to the Colossians, to the Christians at the church of Colossae. Not just to Timothy, not just to Titus. He wasn't just writing one person. He's saying, hey, you Christians, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Together. David said, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Notice he didn't say, I was mad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. What a waste of time. I can be a better Christian all by myself. Why would we think that in any area of life? And why would we assume that in worship? Gathering here together in this morning where we can open up God's word and talk about things, meeting in someone's home for a connect group where we can discuss it openly and honestly with others. So we can teach and worship. This is a joy, and God doesn't want us to have to go struggle through life on our own. There are times when I can get all wrapped around the axle about a situation, and I'm just so filled with stress, and then you come to a worship time, and all of a sudden my whole perspective has changed. It's like, God, what was I worrying about? Has that ever happened to anybody else besides me? Okay, two people. Good, okay. <laughs> it's true. Finally, you and I can reach more people for Christ together than we can separately. Paul in Romans 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how can they call on him to save him unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? How can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Well, that's pretty logical. And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? I mean, now you know why one out of every $10 here goes toward missions. That's why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. <laughs> we, can, we can do a lot more together than we can separately. Last year, we collected tons and tons of food for a local food bank. We sent out hundreds of people to missions organizations. We drilled wells, built houses. We had vacation Bible school for kids to tell them about Jesus. Hundreds of decisions for Christ. That's more than I can do on my own. It's more than you can do on your own. Why would we not pool our resources in this effort? It just stands to reason that we need each other. And we could do much better outreaching, reaching out to our friends and neighbors together than by ourselves. And so this morning, I just want to remind us that we go to church because we're part of Christ's body. He died for you and he died for me. And somewhere on this outline, I want you to write this little phrase. My relationship with Christ is personal, but it's not private. You can just write, it's personal, but not private. 
everywhere in Scripture, I am commanded to love the Lord with my heart, all my heart, my soul, my strength. But I'm also commanded to love my neighbor as myself. My relationship with Christ is definitely personal, but was never meant to be private. So why would I try to live a private life? Hey, this is personal and it's private. No, it's not. When Jesus died on the cross, it was personal. It wasn't private. It wasn't private. Don't ever let anybody tell you that. Hey, my faith is private. Well, faith in Christ isn't private. Jesus wasn't ashamed to die on a cross publicly for everybody to see. Don't you be ashamed to pick up that cross and follow him. That's a lie. And it keeps a lot of people in darkness. And remember, the devil would love to get us away from the pack, away from the herd, away from the church. So like a lion, he can come pounce on us and devour us. Get us all balled up in self-pity and self-righteousness and selfishness and self, self, self. And then we're no good to anybody. But if we work together, then all of a sudden, man, I got to love you and forgive you. I got to pray for you. I can train you in something. You can train me in something else. And then our whole perspective changes. Some of you have heard me share it. A membership classes, it wasn't that long ago, a woman walked in on a Sunday morning and grabbed a bulletin from one of the people passing out bulletins, went and sat down. And the person went, well, I was standing there next to him. Said, wow, I don't even know, leaned over and said, I don't even know why that woman comes to church. Attitude like that. I said, well, in this one particular case, I do. Would you like to know something about her? And they went, Yeah. I said, well, I buried her husband on Thursday. I'm just glad she's here at all. Did you know that there are people who might come into this church on this Sunday morning where the week wasn't just great for them? Did you know that on a Sunday morning worship service, some of the people came here, lost their job or lost a spouse or got a diagnosis with cancer this last week? You might have gotten a raise. You might have just found out you're going to have a baby, and it's all up and up, and it's all great. Well, for other people, it's not. And together, those of us who are having a good week can encourage those who aren't. Those of us who are well can take care of those of us who are sick. Those of us who are blessed can help those who are going through a hard time. But how can we do this on our own? Never believe the lie that you can be just as good a Christian on your own as if you go to church. Nonsense. We need each other. We're commanded to love each other and forgive each other and to care for each other. And we dare not take it lightly what a benefit it is to be a part of Christ's body. So, on our worship team, when we planned this this week, we thought, well, the best way we could probably end the whole service would be by... Um, taking the Lord's Supper together is something the people of God, the church of God, the church of, of people who have professed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, this is something we're commanded to do by Christ himself, and we're commanded to do it together. On the night before he was crucified, Jesus took a loaf of bread and he broke it. He passed it among his disciples. He said, this is my body broken for you. Eat of it. As often as you do this, remember me. He's reminding them that he sacrificed everything for them. And to be his followers, they were going to need to sacrifice everything for each other. 
After the meal was over, Jesus took a cup of wine and he passed it among his disciples. He said, this is my blood that was shed for you for the forgiveness of sins of the whole world. Drink of it. And as often as you do this, remember me. So they passed the cup around and they drank. Jesus' blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins of the whole world. He said, look, you drink of this cup. I forgave you your sins. Now you forgive each other. The world will know you're my disciples by your love for each other. When you're willing to serve each other the way I served you, when you're willing to forgive others the way I forgave you, eat of this meal, make it a part of you. It's who you are now. You're my disciples. Follow me. Never forget me. So we're going to sing some praises here and give you a chance to come to one of the serving tables. There are tables in the front and the back corners. They're all the same. Small pieces of bread, small cups of juice. We're going to invite you to come. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer and invite you to come. And if you come with an open heart, believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, he shed his blood to cleanse you and make you free, and that he's brought us all together, and we're now to live like that and extend forgiveness and service to others in his name, then I invite you to come. Pick up a cup, pick up a piece of bread, and return to your seat. After everyone's been served, I'll invite you. We'll, uh, I'll give you some instruction, and we'll eat the meal together. Would you pray with me, please? Oh, Lord, we thank you for Jesus who died on the cross, whose body was broken for our sins, whose blood was shed to wash our sins away. Forgive us, Lord, at times where we can become self-righteous and judgmental of others. Forgive us, Lord, for times when we, uh, well, we just think it's all about us. I thank you, Lord, that we have other Christians who can teach us and encourage us. I thank you, Lord, that at times we have the right gifting and abilities to help others. I pray, Lord, we would never underestimate the value of church. Just in a moment of silence right now, would you ask God to help, help you become a faithful follower of Jesus? That you would serve others the way he served you? That you would forgive others even as you have been freely forgiven? Oh, God, we don't want to be hypocrites here, not one. We confess our sins. We acknowledge our weakness. We acknowledge we need you and we need each other. Bless this meal to your glory. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.